uh, we're all trying to do the best that we can to support our community and through education, which is the greatest equalizer, um, impact social and economic development. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. This episode of In the Know features in-depth discussion of ACCT's most recent report, Strengthening Rural Community Colleges, Innovations and Opportunities, which was researched and written by ACCT's Senior Program Manager, Rachel Rush Marlowe. Travis Rindle, Senior Communications Officer for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, moderates a conversation between David Loop, President of Buford Community College in North Carolina, and Martha Garcia, Superintendent and President of Imperial Valley Community College in California. ACCT's Senior Vice President, Ji Hang Lee, provides an introduction. This is part one of a two-part episode. Um, as many of you know, ACCT embarked on a, the Strengthening Rural Community College project that was supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and we're very thankful for their support of the project. And we hopefully will continue our work with them in the near future. Um, this report and projects in a, in, was uh, started in August of 2019, and we just finished it with a report. Uh, we encourage all of you to visit rural.acct.org. Uh, so you can visit and take a look at each of the state profiles, number one. Uh, but number two, also take a look at the profile for uh, the two institutions that are talked about today in our um, uh, webinar. Uh, so it is my honor to uh, introduce Travis Rendell. Uh, Travis and I have actually worked together in Washington, D.C. for a really long time, um, as you can, as evidenced by my gray hair. Uh, but Travis now is the Senior uh, Communications Officer at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and as actually a fifth generation uh, rural South Dakotan. Um, the things I learned uh, about how to call uh, various, uh, it's easy with Californians, but uh, South Dakotan is a little different. Uh, so I'll turn it over to Travis, who will introduce our two speakers, and we will get going. Thank you very much, Ji Hang. I, I think what you're saying is that I'm old, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to embrace that as middle age advances. Um, we're really grateful for ACCT's work on this uh, at the foundation. As Jihang mentioned, uh, I hail from a town of 1800 people. Um, and so I, I speak rural um, and I'm very passionate about rural issues. And the foundation as a whole really is guided by the belief that opportunity in the United States should not be dependent on your race, your ethnicity, your gender, your income background, and importantly, your zip code. Um, and so this is a really uh, meaningful body of work for us to be supporting and to be part of. Um, we're here because of this report, strengthening rural community colleges, which are really stewards of place. Uh, they're not only in the communities and regions that they serve, they're of them and by them, as we will hear from a couple of very talented leaders uh, of those institutions. Um, and they are really striving um, and wrestling with the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic um, and the ongoing conversations about economic and racial justice in this country, which are not just confined to urban areas. They are every area, including rural areas. And we'll have the opportunity to hear about some exciting work from these two institutions 
and hopefully yield some lessons and some insights that you all participating today can take back to your own campuses, what I call the Monday morning agenda. What's the one question you want to ask a fellow trustee uh, or your leadership team on your campus? What's one lesson that can be learned from someone else's experience so that we can, uh, where we can, uh, avoid reinventing wheels because we seem to be short on time, money, people, uh, and, and there's an urgency about this. So really excited to get started. Um, I'm very fortunate to have gotten to know just in the last few minutes, uh, two of the best. Uh, Dr. Martha Garcia uh, is superintendent president of Imperial Valley College in Southern California. She has served that institution for a number of years in a variety of capacities. She is a graduate of Imperial Valley College. So she knows that institution from multiple angles. And that college is really focusing on some of the basic needs in the Imperial Valley, including housing and other basic needs that are important to the vitality of the community um, and the vitality of the college because they are highly interrelated. Uh, and we're also joined by Dr. David Loop, uh, Beaufort Community College in North Carolina, Eastern North Carolina to be exact. Uh, Dave is a seasoned veteran of higher education circles, uh, serving two-year and four-year institutions uh, in both North Carolina and the Commonwealth of Virginia. He's also done a stint in the policy world in South Carolina and at the US Department of Education. So I think we are in very expert hands to really dig into this topic. And so I wanna throw the first question to both of you, starting with, with Martha. Give us a little bit of a, of a thumbnail for people who have read the report, skimmed it, or just haven't seen it yet and are interested uh, about the work that you're doing at your respective colleges. Um, in particular, with a focus on who it is that you're serving through this work, uh, what impact you're seeing, uh, and how it connects to the broader mission and vision uh, of your college. So I'll, I'll kick it to you, Martha, and then over to Dave. Thank you, Travis, for that introduction. It is a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. And to provide us some context, it's important to convey that Imperial Valley College is the only uh, public community college serving Imperial County, which is a location that um, geographically we serve about 4,600 square miles. 92% um, of our students are, are, are Latinx, uh, Hispanic, and we are located uh, about 13 miles away from the Mexican border. And, and I share that because obviously that the location itself and the demographics have a greater impact on some of the challenges that our students experience. For us here at Imperial Valley College, and I'm extremely thankful to this, the this board for their support, for their trust in me, it is critical that we provide basic needs uh, to our students, um, that we address the basic needs that they're being challenged with. Um, about 85% of them are receiving or qualify uh, for the tuition, uh, the state tuition waiver. And about one in four community members is living in dire poverty. In addition to that, we do uh, experience higher unemployment rates in comparison to the country. So through 
prior to the pandemic and through the pandemic, what we've noticed is that basic needs, those challenges have been exacerbated tremendously. And it's been very painful to hear from our students and, and know what they're experiencing, especially in a community such as this one, where we were disproportionately impacted by COVID, where Imperial Valley College um, not only was committed to providing basic needs support, but also became a major uh, institution of support to the community um, as our gymnasium was converted to a Federal Medical Station. So our project, uh, what we're here to convey to you all this afternoon is that through this pandemic, the sign of hope was the development of Lotus Living Rise Above community. It's a tiny housing community that is featured in the report. Um, it is comprised of 26 tiny homes. I think it's beautiful. We will house 26 students initially. Our plan was to uh, have double capacity, which would be in, in each of those units, but we need to be um, cautious as we are still uh, dealing with COVID. And um, that housing project became a reality through a partnership with the city of El Central, the IVC Foundation and Imperial Valley College. And the city of El Centro applied for home key funds, was awarded uh, a little over 3 million. And a few months later, about six months later, we have a full project that is ready to be occupied by these students in the next month or so. And how does this, our commitment tie to our, our mission, our vision, our values. Well, I, I wanna share with you my purpose um, because reality, our, our mission, vision and values is centered on ensuring we do everything that we can to support our students, to provide access. Everyone is um, should be afforded the opportunity to pursue higher education. But I, I will end with my purpose because this is really what, drives us, what drives me personally to ensure that I seek whatever resources that I can to provide additional services to students such as this housing project. My purpose is to lead institutional transformation through forward thinking change that makes students the center of our working environment and is focused on increasing success, equity, and access to higher education. Thank you. Fantastic, Martha. And I know, you know, Dave in, in Beaufort County, you're focusing on the educator pipeline, which in rural areas is a tremendous need and, and is a growing cause of concern. So very interested to hear uh, how that's going. Yes, and I think that, uh, first of all, I wanted to thank ACCT and the Gates Foundation for having the wisdom to um, uh, approach this study and bring it to its conclusion successfully in, in the midst of a pandemic and to thank those folks at ACCT who are willing to work with us during um, some, some re re really difficult times over the last several months. Uh, I think it will bring much needed attention to the plight of uh, rural community colleges in this country and I'm greatly appreciative. Um, BCCC uh, is in far eastern North Carolina. We're truthfully in one of the most remote areas of the East Coast. 
Uh, we're between the Pamlico Sound and the Albemarle Sound. We cover our service region, four counties. Two of the counties have uh, fewer than 4,000 residents. Uh, one of them has a barrier island, Ocracoke Island, which is only accessible by ferry or seaplane or boat if you know how to get in between all the shoals uh, and, uh, and the Pamlico Sound. Um, so we have some unique challenges here geographically, um, but we also have some challenges that I think are rooted in the history of the rural South, quite honestly. Um, so we're really in the business of trying to end the cycle of poverty in Eastern North Carolina where it's endemic and systemic. I think that um, classism and racism have been part of the culture in, in the rural South for generations and it's, it's, um, it's a tough nut to crack. Uh, and so we're in the business of trying to do that through uh, access to post-secondary education, try to grow the middle class, and we do that through social and economic mobility. We're looking for an on-ramp to a meaningful life for our students. Um, and, and I think for us, that means a couple of different pathways. And, path, and a pathway is a key word for us um, because our students um, need a, to find a way that makes it palatable and accessible comfortable for them to be able to move into post-secondary education. Many of them lack the social capital that, um, that other students lack who move on to the four-year institutions initially. And we want to be able to provide that for them. Um, we also have a situation where we are, where we have tremendous out-migration of many of our most talented students. And so one way that we wanted to try to retain people here is to try to focus on those shortage areas, uh, one of which is teacher education. We have a significant issue in Eastern North Carolina of retaining uh, STEM teachers, hiring STEM teachers initially, retaining them, as well as those students uh, who, who just choose to go into arts and sciences and teach and PK through 12. And so what we put in place were a couple of transfer programs and we see transfer as being that essential on-ramp, quite frankly, to the middle class uh, and out of poverty. Uh, we're lucky enough to have a, a fairly large regional university, East Carolina University, within about 30 miles of us with whom we have great working relationship and transfer and articulation agreements. Um, so we were naturally uh, very interested in, in putting something together along those lines related to transfer. But I also want to mention that for us, it's not just about transfer. It's also about those students who can get themselves into a formal apprenticeship and uh, first a pre-apprenticeship program and a formal apprenticeship program as recognized by the U.S. Department of Labor and the state of North Carolina. And uh, we've been uh, very successful with that and with a number of companies here locally. We think that as well, those two avenues, transfer and formal apprenticeships are the way forward for our students to get them out of poverty, uh, but also to enable them to come to us first where we can help them uh, with a friendly, welcoming environment to be able to move forward with their lives, move out of that cycle of poverty, 
and be the first in their families to, to, to go on to a four-year university or to gain sustainable, livable wages at major employers in the area. Um, so, so for us, it's about finding those niche areas where we can make a, a significant difference. Um, and I think also as well, um, the, the, the entire focus of, of, on these two programs has to be likewise focused on diver, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what we can do to, to focus and enable student access of minority students. Uh, we are uh, we have significant problems in in retaining, for example, uh, black male students here. Um, but it's more than that. We've got to find a way to make people feel comfortable on campus in a region that is is somewhat conservative sometimes when it comes to social issues. We want to be that place where people feel comfortable, where they're welcome, whether they're uh, black, Hispanic, um, LGBTQ or if they're just poor and they don't feel comfortable in a college environment, which is so often the case. Um, so uh, we're looking for ways to, to, to make that happen for our students. Um, and, it, and of course it dovetails into all sorts of different issues that, uh, that most rural community colleges deal with, which I'm sure we'll get to as we uh, proceed through the discussion. So thanks for the time. That's, that's great. Thank you to you both. And, and I want to pick up a couple of strands that you both laid as far as the pandemic and the conversation that we are having about race, racism, racial injustice, economic injustice as well. Um, and I, and the, the, the nub of the question, Martha, you really touched on this with the challenges that, that COVID has presented. And I guess one of my questions would be, how do you navigate, particularly with, with trustees and with staff who are all, I mean, exhausted and, and stressed and um, you're both facing enrollment, precipitous enrollment declines as are many community colleges, including and especially rural community colleges. How do you move forward um, with initiatives like that in that kind of an environment um, and, and really build that will to take action and to, to make change when resources are constrained and attention is so drawn in so many directions. And I think Dave, to your point, but also Martha, to your point, this happens in context and that race is not a comfortable topic um, in many places and in rural places often, um, which have been uh, majority white. And even if they haven't been, the power structure has often been minority white, or it gets wrapped up, particularly Martha, in your case, immigration, sitting so close to the Mexican border um, and, and the debates about that. So I guess the, the, the heart of the question is, against the backdrop of this pandemic and this, and this conversation about race, what have you discovered and what have you learned about how you move that forward? Is there a silver lining, I guess, in, in all of what's going on around us that, that is helping you to drive some will to act? Martha, do you wanna go ahead? I'll, I'll go ahead and um, thank you, Dave, for your comments. Your commitment, frankly, resonates, I believe, with all of us that serve rural communities. 
Uh, we're all trying to do the best that we can to support our community and through education, which is the greatest equalizer, um, impact social and economic development. But also what's important, um, Travis, as, as I respond to your question is the institution, the college represents hope. In spite of all the challenges that we've endured as a community, it has been painful, painful to know that in, in our death rate in comparison to the state um, is much higher and it has to do uh, as studies indicate with the fact that um, black and brown communities were disproportionately impacted. And how do we recognize that the times are challenging, but also are driven to do what's right for our students, are driven to work even harder um, to make projects such as these happen. Reality is that we, me personally, have been personally uh, impacted by COVID with loss of family members, uh, with my own son being impacted in a way that I never imagined, who is well, thank God. But there's always someone that ha is experiencing greater challenges. And my students, I can't be comfortable with myself I can't be okay with myself knowing that especially through the pandemic, prior to pandemic and especially through the pandemic, my students were not even, those that were experiencing homelessness that are still experiencing homelessness, housing insecurity, did not even have access to a bathroom. And we administered a, a pandemic survey and that survey reminded me that we needed to do more um, and that we needed to push as quickly as we could. Why? Because there is always someone that's suffering at a much greater level than we are. And these students don't lose hope in spite of all these challenges. They've continued attending our institutions and they believe that through education, their lives will change. And I feel such a tremendous responsibility every day, every morning, every night at the end of my day, I ask myself, am I doing everything that I can? Because there are too many lives, not only our students' lives, but their families that are relying on what we do at this institution, especially to support our most vulnerable student populations. And, and Martha, I want to congratulate you on the housing initiative you have. Uh, I really think that's an innovative, great idea. I wish I had thought of it. And I, I, I don't know if my board chair is on, but uh, I hope he's listening. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a fantastic idea. We have even over here in, in rural Eastern North Carolina, housing is a significant problem and, uh, and, and safe housing in particular. Um, I think with respect to diversity, equity, inclusion, it's been important for us to find champions among the board of trustees. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have um, six of my 13 voting members um, who are people of color and they see and know this community extremely well and they understand what um, our students are going through 
um, because many of them have been through it as well. And uh, for us, the focus is on uh, student success and what that means, uh, which means basically wraparound services in many respects. And it gets to things like housing. Uh, it gets to things like for us, transportation is a significant problem um, because we don't have public transportation per se that doesn't cost an inordinate amount of money. Um, for us, we, you know, we're one campus with two, with two remote centers. I mean, it's, uh, you know, when you're talking about Ocracoke Island, you're talking about an hour and 45 minute drive to the ferry and another two and a half hours on the ferry over to the island uh, where we are responsible for, for our, um, certainly for uh, emergency services, training, things of that sort. And there's a burgeoning um, uh, Latinx population on that island because of the focus on hospitality and tourism in particular. Um, and, and so uh, it's been for us extremely important to focus on those areas, to find ways to, to meet the needs of those students who are going to be the future of the region that this college serves. Uh, with this app migration, what we have left basically are extremely large farms for tens of thousands of acres, which you probably have as well. And but also we have hospitality and tourism, which dropped off something like 26 percent during the pandemic. And so we've got to find ways to enable the people who are going to be here uh, to to be able to thrive to pick up the pieces and move forward with their lives in our region. And, and I think the key thing is to find the funding, the backing and the, the political will to do this sort of thing. And it helps tremendously to have supportive trustees, uh, which I'm, I'm blessed truly um, with a, a fantastic board and not just because some of them are listening, but because uh, they understand and they're in it for the right reasons. And so I think that that's, that's critically important. I wanna pick up on that um, point, uh, Dave, and, and knowing that, that both you and Martha may have some of your bosses listening in or may see the recording at some point, uh, I won't put you on the spot too much in the spirit of true confessions, but um, you know, lessons learned so far, knowing that these are still evolving initiatives and specifically the question I always love to ask that makes people squirm is sort of the if I had one thing to do over as I started to think about the work that we've done whether it's in teacher development you know pipeline development or in you know really uh, boosting housing inventory and infrastructure you know the lessons and you know, gosh, if I had it, you know, if I, you know, hindsight being 2020, if I could do it from scratch again, I would have done X differently. I think what one of the things we've found is that, um, and this comes as a result, strangely enough, from the iPads uh, survey on um, our, our campus that was done in 2019, actually before the pandemic. And that is that our students are, they, their learning style is overwhelmingly 
more comfortable face to face. Uh, and, and we hear a lot about technology and the need for reaching people via technology, which in our large service region here for East and East Coast terminology, um, and with all the waterways and so forth that we have to navigate, um, that would make sense. But I think for us, what we have learned is that we have we have lost a number of students because of the necessity for moving to an online um, modular, uh, modular approach. And I think that um, we were even intending to do that prior to the pandemic to reach more people. I think we're gonna have to reach more people face to face. I really do. I think our students are just much more comfortable because of that Either they lack access access to broadband, which we know is an issue, uh, or they're just not comfortable with the um, the technology. But I think it has to do with the fact that they like being in a classroom with other people breathing around them uh, safely, and we're not quite there yet. <laughs> um, but in in a place where the the energy and the vitality of the classroom is there. That's one of the things that I've learned coming out of, 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 of all of this is to not denigrate and dismiss the importance of that live interaction between human beings in a classroom. This has been part one of a two-part episode. Make sure you're subscribed so you're notified when we release part two next week. For more information, visit rural.acct.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.